Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Good morning. (laughs) That was weak. Uh, Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians 2, but I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you probably a couple things. Um, Hey, how many of you, number of you witnessed that memorial service yesterday? Oh. You probably said nothing about this today, did you? Let me just say this. There's a real contrast. I'm going to use the word in death. When a person who's walked with God gets transferred and how others understand death. And Mike's bomb, barbaric. Um, conversion came to here, came to her later in life. And uh, as you know her, she was, <laughs> she, her personality is still the same. She was still had all that stubbornness. It just got transformed by Jesus to get expressed that way. And so my knowing her was like the last 25 years. It was, you know, when Mike got converted and all that later on as a, as a young teenager, but it, it was just glory. It was a worship service yesterday. And a number of people have commented that. I know some of you are watching online, but there's such a contrast. Why do I say that now? Yeah, it happened yesterday. But, but as we come through Galatians, we're actually walking through what is the gospel and how does it affect my life? And how does it work out? We'll see some inconsistency today. I just want you... When we walk with the Lord, we just, everything gets encountered differently. We're held by him. We know that. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we won't have cancer. It doesn't mean we won't have broken relationships. It means we won't be alone, and he'll be with us in it. And there's a whole different deal that goes on. I, I would say um, life becomes in color versus black and white. It's not existing, it's living. And when you come out to these last chapters of Galatians, which we're not at yet, there is a joy and a freedom in it, which all gets rooted in how the gospel's lived out and how it's understood. So that's the part today. Second question, how many of you read the text yet today? It's not, it's not a, it just helps me see who did. Okay, so I haven't said this for a while. Um, one, one interesting thing about preaching through a book of the Bible, you know what's coming next. <laughs> okay, we're gonna stop at a certain point, so you know what's next. We'll finish the chapter, but let me just encourage you, even if it's Sunday morning, you like, if you read it a hat or a couple of times or think about it, you will engage in worship differently as we sing and the preached word also. And let me not forget, come at 10 o'clock if you can, because we just walk through the text. Mike does that continually. It, it just, it comes alive to you differently. You know, you got to listen to me talk like at you for like, that's different than engaging that way. I just find they're, they're different things. And that, there's questions that get asked, there's discovery that happens, and I feel like the word comes alive there. But, this isn't me talking at you. This is through a human person opening up the word of God, and somehow God speaks. Isn't that a miracle? Think how many miracles we experience commonly in life. So that's this part here. All right, I, I put a title up here. I don't often do a title with a question, but I, it's a really significant question that I think is, when you read this text, that's the question. Do I walk in step with the gospel or not? 
And I, I don't think it's a question that many of us ask, and it's not because we don't want to. I think it's just likely that many of us assume we know the gospel, so sure, I walk in step with the gospel, whatever that means. It's an assumption. So let me say this in a different way. There can often be an inconsistency between what we believe or what we say we believe and how we actually live. And where that may be true, I don't think we always see it clearly. And actually, that is probably where we need the help of other brothers and sisters. That's what, partly what the gift of the church is. And that's precisely what we're going to see in today's passage. So before we read it, we don't have a reader, right? Am I reading? Okay. So let me just, let's, let's go this way. Let's go previously what's taken place so far in this text. Um, in that first paragraph in chapter one, uh, Paul indicates his alarm. He's alarmed. It's the church he planted, and his alarm is this. They've drifted from the gospel, and they're drifted. They've added things to it, and he says you're adding things to it is actually eternally perilous. He uses language that's meant to get their attention. You've added things. Most of us don't think of that as, um, he calls it distortions. I don't know if he used the word perversions. But he says it's eternally perilous. If a person does that, let him be accursed. So that's his alarm. Then in that, that next paragraph to end chapter one, he describes basically his testimony um, indicating it's kind of what he's talking about on this whole section. I want you to know the gospel, it's from God. It is God. It's from God. It's not from people. I didn't make this up. In fact, as he tells his testimony, I didn't want it. I'm an enemy. God pursued me. He awakened me to himself. This is from him. And that's for us to understand. That's, that's what he's reasoning out. This is from him. And then he ends that next paragraph, which is the beginning of chapter two, where he says, so I went and checked what I was preaching. I went and checked what I was preaching. Was it consistent with the other apostles? The gospel was confirmed. So I don't want to call it Paul's gospel, but that's what he's doing. He's, what I'm preaching, is this consistent with what they're preaching? And they came out with a yes and amen. Absolutely. Alarm at the drift. Just his own testimony. This is from God. I didn't, I didn't make this up. And the confirmation, I think there's a humility in that of checking with the other apostles. Now what he gets to is this story, an actual event, um, that's a number of people in, in the church. I think it's in the Antioch church. So a number of witnesses, but the exchange is between Paul and Peter and, and probably Barnabas also. And it's this. We see that there's a significant gap there can be for us, and there was with Peter, a significant gap between what we believe and how we act. And we should think deeply about that today. So let me read. I'm going to read um, chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Did you get all that? Okay. I'm only going to preach the 11 to 14 part, and we're going to pick up the, the rest uh, next week. Um, but when Cephas, that's Peter, uh, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Father, help us as we consider the word, your word that you have for us today. And I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to think about this in ourselves. Lord, that we would, even though it's going to be my, my voice articulated, that our hearts would be hearing your voice, Lord, from this scripture, and you would do a work that only you can do, oh God. That's what we want. We want you, your work in our life. Would it be? We pray, thank you, that we can make such an audacious ask, and you do that very thing. Amen. All right, what just happened is kind of a crazy section, isn't it? So once again, he's telling the story in this middle of this part where he wants them to see the gospels from God. The gospel of grace is it's not from man. It is truly glorious, and he is clarifying exactly what it means. So in these verses, here's what we see. That Paul tells the story of how Peter's actions demonstrated, his actions demonstrated an inconsistency with gospel truths. And Paul uses some very strong language. So how should we think about this? Let me remind you of a couple things. So sometimes Mike and I will use the word genre. That's the kind of literature. So again, this is a, it's a letter. So Paul's telling things. But this particular part, it's a story, Right? Sometimes we say it's a narrative. So when you get to narrative, it's telling, it's describing what happened. I'm going I'm to illustrate how people uh, wrongly apply scripture, okay? Here's a, it's describing what happened. We call it descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Right, what do you mean? Th- those words might help you. It's describing what happened. It's not prescribing how to act and live, okay? Now I'm going to walk through what that is. So for example, I'm going to tell you, give you an example that I, I hear get used all the time. Telling a story, a narrative from Scripture, it's Acts 15, and people use this to justify an action, and that's not the point of the story. It, it's describing what took place. So it's, how many of you um, have heard of or know the point where Paul and Barnabas, they split up, they've done a mission, they split up because they have a disagreement about John Mark. How many of you know that story? Okay, not, is that all? How many of you know that story? Raise your hand a little higher to say, okay, maybe half. Okay, so... Anyway, they've already had a successful missionary. They've seen what God has done, but they split company. It says they have a very sharp disagreement. It's not a theological disagreement. It's basically over John Mark's fittedness to go with him the second time because he bailed at some point in the first time. Now listen, so they split company. Barnabas takes John Mark with him, maybe because they're related, but he seems to operate in some kind of grace. Paul doesn't. Luke, the writer, so it's Paul and Silas at this point, the writer hooks up here. So we hear a lot about this in Acts. Luke doesn't go with Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas. So we hear a lot of the story. Now, here's what I've heard people say. See, it's okay to have these conflicts and divide company. I'm not doing this because whatever. I mean, Paul and Barnabas split up. Understand, friends, it's describing what happened. It's not saying it's okay. It's not saying that either of them was right. 
It never says that. In fact, what we see in the narrative, though Paul wouldn't include John Mark here, Barnabas takes him alongside. You know what Barnabas means? It's a nickname. His real name's Joseph. You know what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. Hmm. Barnabas takes John Mark along in ministry. And once again, they, they do the island of Cyprus. And so, yeah, it's Cyprus. So we don't know a lot. Except at the end of Paul's life, in two of his letters, he says, hey, would you send John Mark to me? Would you send him because he's useful to me? We don't know. It's just tell him what happened. Let me go back to their split. I've heard people many times use that to describe their act, to say, this is why it's okay. No, no. There's nothing in the text that says it's okay. It's describing. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. So I'll tell you, when everybody knows this is descriptive, David's sin with Bathsheba. It's telling the story of it. We see what he does. We see Nathan coming to him. We see him filing repentance. We're like, oh, don't do that. But we, we never read that and go like, oh, it's okay. It's no big deal, right? It, it's just telling. It's telling more about God's grace and mercy. Why do we do it in the, in the John Mark splitting? So now follow this. <clears throat> so there's an awkward point in this story in a sense. And I'm saying, I, I'm going to say in the front end. So you have, you have Paul calling out Peter publicly, okay? Is that what we're supposed to do? Once again, let's just go, we understand this is a narrative, it's descriptive. Interesting, if you have questions about that particular thing, the end of this book in chapter six actually is prescriptive. He's giving us commands how to act. And he actually says in chapter six, it's not that long in the writing where he says, hey, listen, you who are spiritual, if someone's caught in a sin, here's how you are to correct them in a spirit of gentleness, watching over yourself. It's interesting it's in the same letter. Now, I don't know that this is true. I haven't studied enough. This one describes a particular confrontation. Understand, that's this apostle talking to that, that apostle. A little different than you and me, huh? And here, it's telling us how we need to go to a brother or sister. So... That may have been more info than you needed at all. <laughs> but people often get this wrong. It's just thinking through, what is this in Scripture? Okay, this is the narrative. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. It's telling us what happened. Huh. Isn't this true in your life? God works in spite of me. God works beyond me. I do this and God just, he actually accomplishes his glory. So we see that all over in Scripture. So just in your Bible reading, Man, if we can think that way, that's helpful. Okay. That, that's one part of background. How, my question is, how should we think about this? Secondly, this example, this is maybe the beauty of a narrative. This event is an example of how we don't always get it right. Isn't it? I mean, if, if Peter didn't get it right, how about you and me? That's one of the beauties of narrative. We see this happening in this particular person of God. I'm like, yeah, me too. We're not really that different. So this passage, it ought to be an easy one for us to reflect upon ourselves and just say, hey, Lord, Lord, where might I not be walking in step with the gospel? Where might that be? Okay, and that's essentially what we're going to be provoking today. So let's go back to this. Let's think about Peter. Okay. So when did this happen? We did a little bit this last week. Um, I, I think this particular event, Peter coming to Antioch, um, so if you think of the book of Acts, I think this is probably um, chapter 12, where Peter's already been put in prison. Herod's already killed James. Peter's in prison. God does a jailbreak, gets him out with an angel. 
And um, afterwards, Peter, it says he goes north to Caesarea. And so Antioch's a little further. I think it's probably in that time frame, okay? Before the Jerusalem Council, when this issue of how are non-Jewish people saved? How are they made right with God? Do they need to become Jews also? So let me back up. Um, I'm just going to tell the stories. I think, I think we'll, we'll read a couple of them. But if you go back to Acts 10, this is Peter in his life. And you might remember this. In Acts 10, uh, this is the story about Cornelius. Cornelius lives in Caesarea. He's a Gentile. He's a God-fearer. He's not a Christian, but he's praying to God. Really good. He's good to the Jewish nation. And it says as he's praying, an angel comes to him and, and tells him that he is to send to the town of Joppa, gives him the address, gives him the name of the guy he needs to get. God do that? Absolutely. Send an angel as a messenger. Go to the house of Simon the Tanner. There's a guy named Simon there. Get him to come to you. Okay. So all over the Muslim world right now, God speaks through angels a lot. I don't think he's done anywhere. I'm just saying they're messengers, okay? Sometimes people make too big a deal out of them, just saying God speaks. He speaks. So Cornelius says, all right. Here's Peter in Joppa, upstairs, minding his own business, on the roof praying. And while he's praying, he gets a vision. God sends it to him. And it's a vision. These non-kosher animals come down. Food and, and, and the, the voice comes, Peter, kill it and eat it. And he goes, no way, I'm a good Jew. I'm not eating non-kosher food. Three times it had, oh, and it says to him, what I've made clean, don't call unclean what I've made clean. Three times it happens, so he gets the message. And he's like, man, what does this mean? He understands there's something going on here. And then God says to him, hey, go downstairs now, because there's some guys I've sent to you. You go with him. He goes, those guys are there, the guys at Cornelius sent. So Peter goes, and he goes from Joppa to Caesarea. He's there in Caesarea, and he comes in. And you know what Cornelius did? He gathered everybody he knew. He was a man of influence. He's got a big house. His big house was full of non-Jews, Gentiles, to hear the gospel. So Peter just tells the story. He tells the gospel. Guess what God did? God's always doing things that fit outside the box, and I, it bothers me. God sends, so they believe, and God sends the Holy Spirit on them. They begin to speak in tongues. This is Acts 10, and Peter's going like, man, they got the Spirit just like we got the Spirit. That came from God. I didn't do this. I didn't lay hands on them. I didn't pray for any God. God did this. He was like, I, I mean, if, if God's going to do that, I need to baptize him with water. He does. Then Peter goes back to Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Let's read this. This is chapter 11. We got him in? So he goes back to Jerusalem and says, Now the, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, non-Jews, had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, okay, this is the same party that we're seeing in Galatians, they criticized him saying, You went to uncircumcised men, non-Jews, and you ate with them. That's the accusation, okay? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And I just stopped the reading there. But basic, you could read, go on and read yourself. He just tells them the story of what God did. I'm minding my own business. A vision comes. These guys come. They send me. I preach the gospel. Holy Spirit comes on them. And I'm like, okay, read the, the, the next section. So here's what he says. Holy Spirit comes on them. And I remembered the word of the Lord Jesus. 
how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Next verse. And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, that opposition, that's the moment. Crystal clear in Peter's mind. But the opposition continued in the church. It's not settled probably to Acts 15. But this event that we're reading in Galatians 2, I'm sure it happened after Cornelius. Peter knew it. He knew it. He's not confused about the gospel. He's not confused about what is necessary in order to be saved. So here's a question. Why does he buckle under pressure here? <laughs> Think of Peter. Earlier next, he has faced opposition so many times. He's used to opposition. He's been on trial twice before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, 70 guys. He's been on trial for preaching the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. It's faith in him. He's preaching. He's been told not to. And that's the one place where he says, hey, you, you decide whether it's okay for me to obey God rather than man. I'm going to. He kept preaching. He was beaten. Why does he compromise here? When he's faced so much direct opposition. It's good to think about because here's the deal. I think we compromise in things that are not obvious and more subtle. When it's an obvious threat, Peter's, Peter's crystal clear. But this one's more subtle. I mean, it's the Judaizer group. And so some might just say, ah, they're more conservative or whatever. But it, it was subtle. That's, that's where he's vulnerable. But really the answer to the question, why did he compromise? We don't have to speculate. Because it's right here in the text. Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with Gentiles. Gen this, is gen this is the church, Gentile Christians, okay? But when they came, these, these guys came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing, is the word, the circumcision party. So that's that same party, the Judaizers, that we saw in Acts 11. So here it is. It's the same issue as we saw. He's eating with them. Wait a minute, he's already faced this challenge. The Lord had already made it clear to him in that, in that vision. Peter understood it. How did he miss it? The phrase here is the fear of the circumcision party. Now, sometimes we use this term, I'm not, not sure if you're familiar with it, but it comes from texts like this, a, the fear of man. So let me just describe that. What do you mean by the fear of man? So some people use the word people-pleasing. Um, that, that might be a good description but it's interesting in the Bible, it uses more of this term fear of man. Um, and I, I think most of us, we'd kind of think of it this way. I, I don't fear what other people are thinking. I, I, I just don't. I, don't. I don't think we think of ourselves as fearing others. So let me use some other descriptors of that, which actually fit into this category. Oh, let me use an example for a second. I remember... <clears throat> Uh, this is a guy talking to me about anger. I was actually teaching a thing in our church one time. And he described uh, a continuum of anger. I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. Anybody ever said that? 
Frustration is a form of anger. Maybe it's lower level or whatever, okay? But it's in that category. So if that's helpful for you, I want you to think of fear of man like that. I'm not afraid what people think. So here's some other things on the continuum that fit in this category. I, I might wonder what other people are thinking. I mean, I might, I might be concerned about what others think sometimes. Or I'm very aware of what others might be thinking or what I think they are thinking. You get how this goes? So that, friends, it's, it's fear of man, especially when it affects my actions. I just want to say to you, it's common, okay? I, I don't know of anyone that is absolutely unaffected by this. And it tends to fit in categories. It may not be with everybody, but with certain people in one's life. And so here's the point here. In this text, that is precisely what led Peter to act wrongly. He's totally fine eating with these Gentile brothers on one point, but when certain men came from James, so you might want to call them, they're the, the super conservative, but actually they're so legalistic that they have distorted the gospel. And so when they come, Peter separated himself from those Gentile brothers. He did. So here's the real problem. Here it is, crystal clear. When what others think becomes more important to me than what God thinks. That, that's how you know fear of man's running. Now, I think there's other subtle forms, but it's when uh, what others think becomes more important to me than what God thinks. So, now here's the next phrase that's helpful. It's verse 14. How was fear of man identified? It's simply this. His conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I find that a very helpful description. So what's that mean? Oh, I should say this. Um, Jonathan Swift, some of you know Jonathan, a uh, missionary we've supported. He works with me in Word Partners. He does the Middle East. Uh, he and I were talking about this, and he said, uh, Christine, you gave me a preaching book, I think, once from Tim Keller that I, I really appreciate. Um, Tim Keller uses this verse in training um, inner city uh, church planters. And Keller's, you know, planted in, in New York City, one of the, I mean, most secular, godless places, but how he would train it, because he's actually trying to train church planters how to think and, and understand the gospel in a culture that's really godless. But it was, it was this verse. So as I go on describing this, here's, here's my prayer for myself and us. I hope that when we, when we finish this passage, like next week, we don't stop thinking about this. And when I get to the week after that and the month after that, I don't stop thinking about it. I, the reason why I told the thing about Keller is, I think this is a really important concept that I have not plummeted the depths of, but I've thought about a lot of things this week. Conduct that's not in step with the truth of the gospel. So let's think about what that means. Let's say that all of us here, everybody watching online, Let's say that we, let's just say we all believe the gospel. I mean, if someone asks you, do you believe the gospel? We go, yep, I do. Do you understand the gospel? Let's say we go, yep, we do. Uh, that'll come to a different question, which we'll answer next week. But how about, is my practice consistent with the gospel? Well, to answer that question, I think, first of all, we need to understand the gospel, which again, we'll explore more deeply next week. I did read through verse 16 because that's where Paul's diving into that. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it is all God. 
I mean, it's all God from beginning to end. It's his sovereign grace. He awakens us. We're dead. We're asleep. We can't. He awakens us to believe. How do you make yourself believe? How do you make a friend believe? You cannot make it happen. It is a work of God. And he does this as a gift of grace so that I would believe. I would repent. I would turn. It's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But it's all God. I don't do things that earn this. My performance is not why God has chosen to do this here. In fact, oh, digression. It's very interesting that I've heard people say, you ever heard the, the old, um, I, don't go to, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites in the church? Heard that one? I tend to agree with it because it's like, or have you ever known someone, they don't, they don't call themselves a Christian, but they seem to act better than someone who is. I don't find that actually, um, yeah, I see the same things. You say it that way. I'm here because I need to be here. I'm not here because I'm better than anybody else. God awakens us to our need of him. It's all God. I do find it grieves me, but I do see some people there. They, they don't even believe there is a God and they act better than someone. I'd say this other one should be, but they, they're, somewhere they're not in step with the gospel. But I don't try to defend it based on hypocrites or whatever. I just find God acting in mercy. Like, how does he save Paul when he's called Saul? He's killing people. How does he save the thief from the cross? I don't know how to describe what God does, but, but understand this it's all God. He just is. That, that's, so when he gets the justification, how one's made right, it is, it's in faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. Now, we'll, we'll get into that more next week. But that's, what, that's the gospel. And if we don't get that, I'll say it this way. If we don't understand it's all him, it will diminish the worth of Christ to us. It will minimize our own sin. And it'll strangle worship. It'll strangle it. I mean, you, when you understand it's all God, his saving grace, you worship different, you sing different, your, your being is different. That's him, it's not me. Why me? Why me? Why me? I look at my family. Why am I this way and my sibling that I love deeply? He doesn't believe. I have no, I have, we can describe the lies we went through. We can all these, I, I, I can't make any sense. I don't. I love him. I pray for him deeply all the time. Why? It's God's sovereign grace. And let me say it this way. <clears throat> Do not misapply this. When will God not work? What might he not do at a last minute, last moment, like the guy on the cross? You can't explain it. It's wondrous. So when we get the gospel, this is what I'm saying. It's all, it should be wondrously glorious to us. It should never become old to us. It should have an effect on our very being. So somewhere here, he's got conduct that's not in step with the gospel. It's not consistent with the gospel. He actually uses the word hypocritical. This doesn't match. He uses very strong language. So I'll say it once again. If Peter missed it, where am I missing it? What are ways that we get out of step with the gospel? Now, let me make a little caution here. It'd be very good for us to think about ourselves and not someone else. Um, I'm not going to point any fingers, but if you ever listen to a message, you go like, oh, I wish they would have heard that. 
So this is about us. It's not about the person you've already been thinking about so far. Nobody laughed. Okay. <laughs> Supposed to be us. But you know, we have that tendency. That's not what this is. Let's think about us. Where are my attitudes, my actions, my desires, my prayers not consistent with the gospel? So it'd be good for us to think about this a lot. And let me say this way also. Um, probably helpful if you have good friends, brothers, sisters, spouse, to think through that with them. Also just have a conversation uh, later this week around the dinner table or whatever. Because again, I, I think of this text, we see Paul bringing that out in a very helpful way. And I, I, I'm not sure that Peter knew it or saw it or else he's just acted inconsistently. So here's what I want to do next. I want to give you some examples of categories of places where this is, just to help us think through it. But please don't define all your thinking in only these categories. I'm I'm really trying to do this to provoke and kind of by way of illustration. So I'm cherry picking some easy things. I don't think I'm stepping on toes today. I might be and not know it. That happens. Um, I want to talk about singing. I want to talk about praying. I want to talk about attitudes towards other people. And I want to talk about the news. How about that for four easy categories? How might I not be in step with the truths of the gospel? Okay, so let's talk about singing. I don't think we have as much problem with it here as the other campus, but, you know, so taking away, I love kids in our, right here, I do. And so, so taking away, and there's always this tension like, is my kid being distracting? Or, you know, how do I do this? And taking away that stuff. Um, don't be distracted by others, okay? But here's, here's the issue with singing. There's certain words in certain songs. They've been selected for a reason. Here's a question. Am I engaging with what this is saying? Am I just singing words, maybe a familiar song, or maybe not? Am I engaging with what those words are saying? So it, it has to do with actually thinking that. Um, occasionally I've heard it this way. <clears throat> Someone's overwhelmed as we're singing. I hear it on the other campus more than this, but I've heard in this one too. They get so overwhelmed with it and God's amazing. They'll, uh, they'll raise a hand or two. And as I saw today, or a shout comes out every once in a while. A whoop. It's just like a, so if that happens, do not be distracted by someone else. Oh, and if you get distracted, sit up right here in the front row. These guys said, <laughs> you know, it tends to take away all the rest of that stuff. I want us to be so engaged with the truths, the glorious truths of the gospel, that all of that is okay. I really do. That's the deal. So regarding saying, am I engaged with this consistent with the truths of the gospel? Now again, don't hear me as trying to make you be an expressor in a certain way. That's not the deal. Because someone it might be very quietly doing it inside. You are jumping up and down. You might be not dancing like Emily, but you might be dancing outside in, in, in your heart, okay? It's, am I engaged with this in the singing? Um, true story. I mean, I, um, I wonder if I did this. Huh. I might have missed this. Thing. There's, uh, I used to never raise my hand singing. For me, it was fear of man. Meaning this. I was very much more aware of what other people were. So I used to, so in the other place, we got one center aisle. I used to sit in the middle, but like, I started scooting to the edge. I love this spot over here. I used to scoot to the edge because like, I know nobody's looking at me. And I can, of course, here we're a little rounded, so we can't see each other. But I was like, I can, 
But I had to try to find myself a place where I could engage with God and not be distracted. Now, that's my own problem. But what I'm saying is it was the fear of man, what other people were thinking, that limited me. It stopped me. It was inconsistent with what we're singing here. And what I want is what we're singing. I want us to be like, yes! <laughs> I, mean, I, want, I want to be in on that. Okay. Now, this is not like a pet peeve for me at all. I, I picked a low, an easy one, I think, because I'm bad at it. And I, I'm going to read you something. I, I, I preached this in, in, um, in Poland uh, this, this fall. Uh, this, is, oh, this is Psalm 150, so it's the end. Uh, we didn't do this one. We just did the Psalms. Uh, this, oh, this is a non-Baptist psalm, by the way. It's uh, Thank you. It's a non-Baptist psalm. So Baptist hymnals have this one struck from their hymnal. Okay. The, the psalms are full of this kind of praise. It's the last one. There's a reason why it's the last one. It's a crescendo. After all these glories of God, when you go through the Psalter, it just gets bigger and bigger. And the last one goes like this. Six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. And with lute and harp, uh, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. I don't think the point's the instruments, guys. Last verse, this is the point. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it is, thank you. <laughs> There's an exuberance in there. That's what, so we've talked about this. She's awesome, by the way. Can I just say this? She asked me about this. Um, she knows, and we just talked about it. I know it can be distracted. Some people, that, that's actually why she's moved over that way. I'm not going to tell her not to dance because I know what it comes from. If you know Emily, you know how true that is in her, okay? But I'll just say this. Let's work at not be distracting, but let's work harder connecting with God and what he's saying, what this thing says. Yes. That's the deal. In step with the gospel. You know, I got preferences that guide me. I get, seriously, so I started this? That was my problem. I'm not trying to make us be something else. Am I engaging with these truths? Okay? And that's why I read Psalm 100. I could read so many. Here's what Piper said. I read this this week. And I think this is the part I forgot at the other campus. You got it? Yeah. God has given singing to his people as the most powerful expressions of our gladness in his glory. Amen. It is. Okay, and once again, Jesus singer, I'm not. This is not about preferences. But I found as I let as that would happen with me, on my own I would sing, driving somewhere, you know, just like let that be. It's, it's it, <clears throat> the gospel's meant to have an effect in us. And it is in terms of our being. And I do think there's something when Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, your neighbors, yourself, there's something connected to there. And if you disagree with this strongly, then you've got to read some of the last parts of Paul's letters and read through the Psalms and tell me where it is. So it isn't about the instruments. It's about let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Am I engaged? Okay. Maybe I've stepped on toes. Let's try to pick easy ones. Okay, let's go this way. Uh, prayer. The, the others are shorter. So lately I've been thinking about prayer, uh, my own prayer life. Can I ask you, do you worry in prayer. So here's, here's the thing. So part of prayer is asking God. There's a whole bunch of it. It's thinking back, giving him thanks, 
for this and that. It just it does our hearts good to remember, give him thanks. But I mean, life's broken, isn't it? Relationships broken, news crazy, everybody's crazy. We live on a crazy planet. Yep, that's sin. But in the nature of life is it's not complete, not meant to be till heaven. But the nature of it is we can come and ask God about stuff. But sometimes, man, I've piled up that list. It's such a big list. It seems bigger than this. You know how that goes sometimes in prayer? Got all these needs? So now let me, let me be really clear. It's okay to ask God about anything. It's okay to be raw with God and just say it out there and go, God, I don't get it. That's okay. But if all my life is that, all my prayers are that, and I never get to the wonders of God's saving grace, aren't I, isn't it disproportionate somewhere? So that's all I'm asking. Do my prayers reflect that? So let me be really clear. It's okay to be this way, but if it's always that way, because those things, I say worrying in prayer, I, I, I think I've been around that where maybe it's my heart attitude. It's not exactly in step with the truths of the gospel. So I don't know for you where that will be or how to find the right balance, but I just say, ask the Holy Spirit that. You know, where is it or where is it not? Let him, let him do a good work there. Um, thinking through this in a God who is almighty and merciful both, has really affected my prayers this week. In fact, I think it's probably put me in the realm of the Holy Spirit where I have initiated some conversations that I wouldn't have because of this. So that's the question. Thirdly, uh, how about my attitude or my view of other people, uh, especially if it's a brother or sister in Christ, someone who's annoying to you, someone who's not like you, might have some different positions than you on some certain things, so, attitudes we're not as quickly aware of necessarily, but they're there. So let me say this. Am I more aware of their deficiencies and flaws? Because they have them. Am I more aware of those than God's grace in their life? Okay. And if it's the former rather than the latter, do I think of them in keeping in step with the truths of the gospel? If they're a brother and sister, Okay. Now, why do I say that? It's because without going this autobiographically, I mean, the Lord's challenged me in this one a lot um, in some places. It's been really good for me to have to think through some difficult situations in my life and the people and brothers and sisters in that way. But if it's more this than that, I think I'm not, it, it's not denying things that have gone on. It's not denying sin, but am I thinking about them, my attitude towards them in terms of is it in, in step with the truths of the gospel? And if they're not a believer yet, same deal, right? Really. That is, I don't expect, I'm going to use the word, my neighbor, who's not yet awakened to the gospel, I don't expect them to act like a Christian or to think like that. They're not awakened. So, is my adi- what's my attitude towards them like that? Okay? Last one. Uh, my demeanor towards the news. So, news comes at us, we know it's all got a bias, it's all got an agenda, but it's all coming at us. So, regardless of what your intake is, am I... Am I pessimistic when I listen to those things? What's, what, what's going on there? Or do, what I, or do I think about what God might be doing? God's always doing way, way more than we see. So once again, let me, a footnote for you to recall all that we went through in the book of Daniel last year. If that doesn't teach us something, Daniel who serves five different kings 
three different kingdoms, the rising and fallen, who's just called to remain faithful, who God, who, who king, the eternal king, who's sovereign over all. How does news affect you? Do you think about it in, in, in keeping with the gospel? Okay, no. a lot of other categories we could take, but I thought it was worth exploring them with you just to provoke your own thinking and how that might be. And once again, in this case that we read, um, others tend to be helpful. I, th- I think they could be for us also. So let it be good conversation. I'll conclude. The gospel, the good news of God pursuing a people like us, it's wonderfully glorious. It should shape every part of our being. And I do believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, when he calls out those commandments to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength and our mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. It would be good and healthy for each of us to reflect upon where might I be out of step with the gospel? If Peter did that at some point, certainly it could be me. Let me remind you, this is not an exercise in self-condemnation. It's not. It's an exercise in gospel growth, in Christian maturity, and in true joy and freedom for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word today. Um, I pray for myself as all these friends and brothers and sisters that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us search such things out and you would bring about the change that would reflect Jesus in us. Certainly, Lord, the place you've put us to live, whether that's locally or just thinking the, the time period and culture in which we live, it seems to be getting darker yet you're building your kingdom through your children, your sons and daughters, and that's where your light shines. So in that way, the darkness is a glorious time to walk with you. Do it however you will. Thank you for the brothers and sisters here around us. The the church is a gift to us. Teach us to talk in language like this and to care for one another like this and to pray for one another like this. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.